Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. So we are uh, in the middle of just taking some time to to reflect on really who we are. This is a little bit of an identity series for Renewal, uh, partly because it's the beginning of the year, partly because as you just walk and grow and experience life together as the family of God, it's good to just have reminders of, of who God has called us to be, how he's spoken to us. And so we're taking time to be reminded of things that God spoke to uh, those of us that started Renewal a little over a decade ago. Uh, we're taking time to, to reflect on things that God has spoken to us over the course of the last decade, things that have just really shaped who we are and how we think and, and how we walk together. And then also really wanting to be aware of what is it that God is speaking to us today and, and what is it that God is speaking to you today. Um, I, I This week I was looking at notes from uh, our leadership retreat in 2016. So this was in the fall of, of 2016, uh, which just feels like a lifetime ago. Um, I don't know how many of you have uh, have had the experience where you will say things like, oh, this happened three years ago, and then somebody does the math and you realize, no, it was actually seven or eight years ago. Or, or you think about your kids four or five years ago as if they were the size that they are now, and, you, and then you look at a picture and you're like, oh, my gosh, you were so tiny and adorable back then. What happened to you? Um, only one of my kids is still tiny and adorable. I'll let you decide which one that is. Um, yeah, it's, it's Brody for sure. Um, he's a middle child, so we got to give him, we got to give him a break here where we can. Um, so, so, uh, in 2016, in the fall, we got away with our leadership team, which was our, our elders, our deacons, uh, staff members, and then people who are maybe leading different ministries in the church, women's ministry or men's ministry or things like that. And, uh, we used to do just a day long retreat every August or September when we could fit it in coming out of COVID. We pushed that to a full weekend. In fact, the first week, weekend in March, our leadership team is going to be away for a retreat of, of seeking the Lord together, talking about things, planning things, and, um, and just trying to be intentional as, as a leadership team of, of, uh, of being together and, and being serious about the burden God has given us for leadership. Anyhow, I was looking at these notes from 2016, and, and the notes started with comments on, on three passages of Scripture that we really felt God had used to speak renewal into existence. And, and one of those passages from Isaiah 43, that was one that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, the forget not the former things, don't dwell on the past, see I'm doing something new. That was a verse we talked about a few weeks ago from, from Isaiah 43, that um, that when we were in the process of planting a church and and uh, thinking about what, what does it mean to be a, a church plant, in our community, we just felt like God used that verse to speak to us and to confirm to us uh, that that He was indeed doing this work. Um, the second verse is from Second Corinthians chapter five. It's a pretty famous scripture. If you, if you're familiar with church life, I'm sure you've heard it before. Uh, but Paul writes, "So from now on, the Second Corinthians chapter five, verse sixteen, 
From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. That, the, the last part of that verse, uh, if anyone's in Christ and the new has come, the, or they're a new creation, uh, that part of it used to be on the top. Some of you might remember this. When we were meeting in Kelso, we had printed bulletins that we put out on the chairs. Printed bulletins, for those of you who are too young to remember, are these things on paper that would be, I would, I would print them every week on my computer at home and, and my printer. It would take a while. I'd set it to print and then I'd go away and do something else because it wasn't a fast printer. And then I would cut them in half because I like to save paper. Uh, so they were only a half sheet. I would cut them in half and then we would come in on Sunday and we would put them out on the chairs, which was actually somewhat helpful because, uh, and maybe some of you have experienced this, you come into a church, you're visiting a church, you sit down, and you're wondering, like, I don't know anyone here, I don't know if I have anyone to talk to. It always seemed nice to have something you could pick up in your hands and look at, right? And just look at it for a while and hold it and, um, and not feel, I don't know, awkward because you're in a new space. But uh, anyways, that verse was at the top of our bulletin. Uh, that's the verse that we're really going to dive into today. Uh, and the third verse is from Philippians. I'm hoping to dive into that next week. Um, and we'll see if we get there. Uh, it feels a little bit like everything's jumbled and mashed up. And then Easter's early this year. So this whole idea of taking time to talk about who renewal is before Lent starts and before Easter. Anyways, we'll see how it all goes. Um, but that's the plan. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, um, we're, we're starting a church. Uh, we really felt called to start it here in this community. And part of that was feeling God speaking to a number of us that we needed to rethink how we looked at our community, specifically the people in it. Now, anytime that God is, is kind of putting his finger on an issue in your life, there's an element of repentance that's happening, meaning I realize that I've been wrong in the way that I've been looking at my community and the way that I've been looking at the people of my community, and I want to embrace a different perspective. Um, I'm confessing that I have a worldly point of view when I think about Longview, and I want to have a kingdom-minded point of view. I want to see the community through God's eyes. Now, uh, I grew up, we moved to Callitz County when I was, um, just before I turned seven years old, and uh, and I, as many people who have maybe grown up here, you maybe spent a large portion of your life thinking, I'm definitely not going to live here when I get to decide where I'm going to live myself. Has anyone spent a large portion of their life thinking that? Let's just be on, a few of you are being, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Um, and not because I don't like any of you, but just I think that's sort of normal. Um, and I would say that, you know, I was I was in my late 20s when we started Renewal. Um, I would say that that mindset had persisted. Uh, my wife wasn't from here. Um, this is not an easy community to immigrate into, especially if you do so in your adult life. Um, and, and we had kind of talked and thought that, well, we decided to go to LCC, and she was gonna, she's a nurse, and she's going to do nursing at LCC. So, well, we'll do that, and then we'll move. And, well, then we had a kid, and then it was a good time to buy a house. And, 
Then I had, you know, a job working at a church, which felt like a calling that God had on my life. And one thing led to another. I've told people that for 20 years, we've been two months from moving to Minnesota. Just two months. It's two months out for 20 years. Um, when we were planting renewal, God was doing something in our hearts where this community became a community not to be escaped from. The people of this community became people that would be, you know, worth being around. And God began to change how we looked at the community. I think I, I would say um, we were a part of another church in town, Exodus uh, Exodus Church over on Ocean Beach Highway. I was working there for almost two years as an associate pastor. And, uh, and that congregation was really huge. And the pastor there, Scott Hembury, was really influential in giving us a heart for Callitz County as people who, um, who I think had spent our 20s trying to figure out how to get out of Callitz County. Um, uh, but all of us need to have a renewed perspective when we think about our community and we think about the people that are here around us. God's viewpoint differs from our own. The Apostle Peter's writing uh, his second letter to the church, and, uh, and in chapter 3, he's talking about the return of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And, and he's writing to believers who, at that time, are suffering great injustices. Uh, those who are uh, following Jesus are being persecuted by religious, uh, Jewish religious leaders all across the region. Those who are going in churches and, and being a part of things are constantly having to deal with the fact that, that uh, there are false teachers, there are false prophets. There's all kinds of crazy, un, uh, incorrect doctrines that are being taught. And these people are, are being hammered by this constantly. And in all of it, Peter talks a little bit about God's perspective. He says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. Speaking of the return of the Lord, he says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. I want to just pause right there because it's far too easy for us to think that God looks at things like we look at things. What does it mean to be a being who a day is like a thousand years? You could walk around any street of our town. You will not find a single thing that's, you know, over a couple hundred years old. A thousand is quite a bit more than a hundred. A thousand years is a long time. What's it like to be a being where those two incredibly different time frames are somewhat interchangeable or understood so differently than how human beings understand them? People say, people say things like, you know, if, if you're a business owner, you've probably been coached and like, well, you need to have a, a, a one-year plan, a three-year plan, a seven-year plan. You, like, how about a thousand-year plan? You need to have a thousand-year plan. Does God have a thousand-year plan? You bet he does. He has plans that stretch multiple millennia. He is not like us. His perspective is so different than ours. Now, this is in regards to the day of the Lord. You've got suffering people, the church, asking the question time and again, like, well, God, if you really love us, if you're really coming back, why is he not coming back yet? Why is God not intervening right now in this situation of incredible injustice in my life or this thing that's not right in my society? I feel like everything's falling apart and God's not doing enough today. Peter says, don't forget 
A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This just jumped out to me when I read it. So this is unrehearsed and unplanned. (laughs) I hadn't noticed that before. Who's God patient with? He's patient with the church. He's patient with the audience of Peter's letter. I think of God being patient. It's like he's patient with my neighbor that hasn't yet come to faith in Jesus Christ. He's patient with my brother or sister in the church whose life does not line up to the teaching of Scripture. I think of God's patience in terms of who he's patient with. What does Peter say there? He's patient with you. Why haven't you fixed everything yet, God? (laughs) Because I'm patient with you. Further down, he writes that this that, that our Lord's patience. It's it's our Lord's patience that means salvation. And then, as Peter begins to close his thoughts in this letter, he, he's pointing the church to Jesus, and, and he says to them, to sum it all up, he encourages them to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. And the letter ends. And you'll find this in the New Testament. We spent some time in the fall going through the, um, the uh, passage in the letter to the Ephesians. Paul's prayer for them, his prayer was that we would have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is God's love for us. You know, the solution to the problems that the church faces is growing in our knowledge of who Jesus is. The church is built on who Jesus is. Jesus is the meeting place between God and humanity. He's the one who ushers humanity into this new covenant, the new covenant through through him where we all together are the temple. We become the meeting place between God and his creation. Scripture says in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You want to know who God is? Jesus is your paradigm. Jesus is your starting point and your ending point. Who is he revealed to be in Scripture? You have to look at him. I think so often in church, we forget that the most important thing is who Jesus is. At times... Just because of how society is and culture is, certain things happen. And it begins to feel like, well, we need to address this. We need to address that. We need to talk about this issue. We need to talk about that issue. We need to find this. We need to find that. We didn't build a church. We didn't start a church based on how we thought we should respond to whatever was happening in the world at the time. I think one reason why there's been such a shaking in the church through something like COVID is because you're seeing what the church is really built on. Is it built on us being able to do things a certain way for a certain amount of time once a week? Or is it built on who Jesus is? Because Jesus didn't change at all with a global pandemic. He doesn't change with world wars. He doesn't change with global pandemics. He doesn't, he doesn't change if they say it, it, nothing changes him. He has to be our starting point, and he has to be 
our ending point, and he has to be the most important thing. Matthew 13, there's this string of parables that Jesus taught, talking about the kingdom of God, trying to help us understand God's redemptive plan for humanity and how this all works through telling stories that illustrated it in everyday life. Each one is the short story of of God's redemptive work for humanity. And, and, and one of the shortest parables is, is, is one of the really well-known ones, is one called the, the, the story of the pearl of great price. It's 31 words long from Matthew 13. Jesus says again, he says again because this is a whole string of stories. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who's looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. The pearl of great price story is a story that began to shape my perspective on how I viewed Longview, Kelso, Callitz County, how I viewed the people in Longview and Kelso and Callitz County. And I think somewhere over the last decade, my my focus on that drifted. I'm reading through a book with a, a couple of friends it's called Abba's Child. It's by Brennan Manning. I would highly recommend it if anyone's looking for a book on your relationship with the Lord. But uh, in in chapter two, there's a line he he quotes, um, or an experience the author shares where uh, God confronts him and says to him, uh, you know, Brennan, something to the effect of, Brennan, you treat certain people who check all your boxes really, really well, and you treat other people who don't, you know, you don't give them the time of day. And the line that jumped out to me and felt like God speaking to me right through this author was, this is a very big deal to me. I think, man, I've, 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 I've forgotten what a big deal it is to God. That this community is a pearl of great price worth selling everything for. That the people in this community are people who are worth giving up everything for. God was speaking to my heart on this uh, this last week, and and I uh, needed to go to Winco to get some groceries. And it was this was Thursday afternoon, so you know we we'd been iced in on Tuesday. We didn't go. I didn't go anywhere from Tuesday night to Thursday. And uh, you know Ryan's talking about the stir crazy. Like, oh man, it was it it's it's rough being stuck at your house. We're just a very mobile society. We're not. We, we like to live our lives away from home. But anyhow. I, I go to Winco, it's full, and I have an experience where I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to me as I'm walking around, like, I want you to look in people's faces and try to see that adoration, that wonder, that pearl of great price, right? And so I'm I'm just going through busy Winco, and I'm trying to do my grocery shopping, but I'm also trying to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. I spend way too much of my life just ignoring that voice, <laughs> and so... I'm wanting this to be a holy moment and also a productive shopping moment. And I'm looking in people's faces and I'm trying to see like that wonder, that that adoration, that pearl of great price, that thing that I feel like when I when I, you know, um, yesterday I, we spent all day uh, watching a volleyball tournament. And like when I watch my daughter play volleyball, I'm just like full of adoration. It's wonderful. And it's 12 year old volleyball. So it's not even great volleyball right now, but. Like, 
I want to feel that when I see, you know, the the person at, at Winco. Um, God used this parable to reshape our perspective on our community. And I think a reshaping of that perspective is needed today. We felt God was saying that we had here in our community a pearl of great price. That our coworkers and our friends, our, our family members, our neighbors, and our enemies. I distinctly remember him saying our enemies in our community are pearls of great price. And when kingdom people encounter the pearl, they sell everything in order to gain the pearls that God puts before them. In this illustrated story of God's redemptive work for humanity, I think Jesus is trying to show us that from God's perspective, people have so much more value than, than our perspective gives. This is how, vi- how highly we need to value those that God surrounds us with, that God sends to us. If someone comes through that door, they are a pearl of great price, worth selling everything to gain. Jesus' example would say they're worth dying for, right? And that's the door to our church gathering. Like the doors in your life, when someone walks through the door into your life, they are a pearl of great price. We're selling everything. The very next parable in Matthew 13 was the illustration I used to explain why we should ever have a new church in our community to my pastor friends. I'd been a a youth pastor and an associate pastor for uh, combined for about seven years leading up to our church plant. And, um, and I knew a number of other ministers in town. Uh, I've always kind of it had been modeled really well for me uh, to, to be in relationship with other people and to, to be a part of things that other churches were doing. And so, um, so I, was, I really tried to lean into that. So I had a lot of relationships. But there's also the reality that, and probably because, you know, we're Americans and we think in terms at times of like profitability and market share and things like that, there can be a, 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 an element of territorialness or competition that exists between congregations. Like, I, you going to that church and, and giving your time and your talents and your resources to that church means you can't be at, at my church giving your time and your talents and resources to my church. So in the midst of all this, I felt like I need to explain to my friends why I'm planting a new church right here in their backyard because uh, I, I better have a good reason for this. And so... Uh, like a good pastor, I went to the Bible and I found a good reason for it. No, that's not really how it worked. I f- these are things that I felt like God inspired my heart. But uh, the next parable Jesus tells in Matthew 13 is, is 13 verse 47. He says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and it caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore and then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and they threw the bad away. And this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So my reasoning was, if the kingdom is like a net that's been let down into the sea to catch all kinds of fish, 
then part of our justification, justification for existing is that our community needs a bigger net. There are all kinds of fish swimming around in the sea or the lake of our community who are not caught in the net yet. I think there's about, uh, give or take, 100,000 people in Callis County. There's like, give or take, I, I think there's 85 churches in Longview, Kelso area. There's probably another 20 or so. We'll just say there's 100 churches. Not every church has room for 1,000 people. <laughs> there's not room for 1,000 people here. We couldn't do it. I, you'd have to hire a new pastor because I'm not equipped to pastor a church of 1,000 people by any stretch of the imagination. So my reasoning was, we just we need it. We need a bigger net. We we need more people. Not only that, but I had I had a, I'd grown up in in church here in Callis County, and and at that time, you know, 28, 29 years old, I felt like a lot of people I had grown up with in church were not going to church anymore. There was a lot of fish who had been in the net that had escaped from the net and were swimming around, you know. And so I felt like it was important that we had a bigger net to be a home for any fish that God might lure into our net. Um, now, the thing I really like about the net analogy is if, if you think about a net, what is it? It's a bunch of strings or fibers or rope, whatever it's made of, that are woven together. And the strength of that net is completely reliant upon how well these things are connected to one another. How intricate the, and complicated those connections become. You know, if you've got a bunch of, of strings that are just all lined up together, but there's nothing crossing between them, then anything can push the string aside and get through the net. And so a healthy net has connections all around. And so I, I literally would say this. You know, I'd sit down with, with a pastor friend of mine in town. I'd give him the news, hey, I'm thinking about planting a church. Like, here's what we're thinking and I'd use this net analogy and say, look, I am not looking for an isolated corner of, of the Christian community in Longview and Kelso where I can gather my favorite people together and we can be our favorite kind of church. I said, at Renewal, what I'm looking for is an opportunity to reach out my hand of fellowship to you, to reach out as a community, as a church, as a congregation, to reach out our hands of fellowship to those around us, and to take our place in the net, acknowledging that the net needs to get bigger. He said, I really want this church plant to be an expression of what God is doing in the larger body of Christ, and not just what a few people who have isolated themselves from the larger body think God is doing. I was so grateful to have churches and pastors who were like, that seems like a great idea. Um, one of our first services over at Kelso, we had about a half a dozen pastors there praying for us, kicking us off, commissioning us for this work they felt like God had called us to. And we have walked hand in hand with multiple congregations and ministries ever since. Yeah, we have better relationships with some and we have worse relationships with others and all of the normal stuff happens. I worry about market share from time to time. I'm sure they do too. <laughs> but the reality is, that we are trying to lean into this rea into this truth that God has said the kingdom is like a net. It's been cast into the sea. And if he is saying to us that we're a part of that net, then we are really trying to work hard to have strong connections to other churches. 
Now, that's true in how renewal relates to the rest of the body of Christ. And, and those connections that are strongest are those connections that we tend to. There's a couple of older pastors who kind of mentor me. One's Mark Schmutz. He's over at Northlake uh, Baptist Church. And then one's Jeff Hoover. He's recently retired. But uh, a couple of years ago, I started having coffee with him every single week uh, because uh, they figured I needed it. And um, that relationship is really, really strong. Because we take time to be together, we challenge each other, we have hard conversations about things that are going on in our churches, in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, and and there's a real richness there because we make the time to be together. I'm kicking off my middle school basketball season. Uh, this Monday we've got tryouts. I hope Parker's going to be there. I know he's signed up, planning on it. We've got a spot for him. Taylor, you told you can't come back. You're over across the parking lot at the high school. Sorry. Um, but I, one thing I always try to work in there every season, it's a seven-week middle school basketball season. If you want to be a good basketball player, you can't play two months of middle school basketball and think that's it. That's just the reality of it. If you want to be good at something, it requires, it requires ongoing sacrifice. It requires ongoing dedication. It requires more than that. One thing that we struggle with in our connections with each other, especially in this day and age, in this present culture, is many, many, many of us are way too busy to invest in the kinds of connections that bring the kinds of fruitfulness in your life. If your engagement in your church community is, is you know, holding down your chair 2.3 Sundays out of the month, like, I guarantee you, you're feeling relational deficits. You're not feeling the connections that you're designed and you're meant to feel, and you're not, to, you're not able to capitalize on what this is all supposed to be about. And so I know people are busy. I know things are difficult, but I want to encourage you that you have, you have to invest in your spiritual relationships. You need to find other brothers or sisters to walk with, to talk with. You really should be having conversations. I think at least on a weekly basis with people that is more than just like, you know, talking about how busy you are and how tired you are and where you're going on vacation. Like, what is God speaking to you? How is he challenging you? What's going on in your life? Where are you reading the scriptures and what is that saying to you? The net is only as strong as the connections that exist between the fibers. The kingdom is only as strong as the connections that exist between the kingdom people who have chosen to walk together. The kingdom is like a net. It's let down into the sea to catch all kinds of fish. One of the other things I like about this net analogy is that nets are all about keeping things in. Nets are not about kicking things out. And, and one of our goals in this whole venture of renewal was that all kinds of fish. We did a little bit of that. They, um, you know, people give you advice on planning church. You read books on it, and you, you can go to all kinds of seminars. And, and uh, one of the things I did was, you know, read a lot of books, and then I sat down with a number of people. But one of the things that comes out of that is you've got to figure out who you're trying to reach. Who are you trying to reach? Because if you don't, you know, if you don't aim for something, you're not going to hit anything. 
And I've always struggled with that, and I probably could have handled this better. But I was like, we're just trying to reach everyone. Jesus is for everyone. He's for everyone. Which probably in some ways defines who we're trying to reach. (laughs) Because I found out really quickly, not everyone tolerates that kind of an idea. Um, But going into this, we had three guiding principles that that we settled on that we felt like this is what helps shape and helps bring direction to what what it is that we're trying to do. And the three guiding principles were Jesus is for everyone, Jesus uses everyone, and Jesus changes everything. And I was like, it's all about Jesus, and he's incredible, and this is going to be great. What could possibly go wrong? Um, and that's, that's how it's been, 10 years of pure bliss. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about this idea that Jesus is for everyone. Uh, one of the things that, that we felt so sure of was that everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. What do you say to people who live in an affluent society, haven't missed a meal in their lives, like anything bad is a distant memory? Do those people need Jesus? Yes, those people need Jesus just as much as the, you know, the person sleeping on the street because they don't have a roof over their head. We had a conviction in starting renewal was that everyone needs Jesus and that what everyone needs is Jesus. We really believe that our job is to is to point people to Jesus, to direct people to Jesus, to invite people to walk with Jesus. You call me up, you say, James, I want to be a better dad. How do I be a better dad? I'm going to be like, you need to start talking to Jesus about how to be a better dad. Doesn't mean I'm not going to give advice. It doesn't mean that I don't have any ideas about it. But trust me, he has way more insight into who you are dad's in the room as the perfect dad than I could ever have. My job as a pastor is to point people to Jesus. Your job as a believer walking with one another, as a priest in the kingdom, is to point people to Jesus Christ. He is the one who knows what we need. He's the one who can guide us. Jesus is for everyone. We had a few verses that kind of fired this idea. One of them was from Acts 10 where uh, Peter is, uh, has an experience where God's told him to go and proclaim the good news to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are the bad guys back then. And I can't stress enough how much they were the bad guys. I just don't think we get it. Because we think of it now and we think of it like, oh, the first century Jews were so unsophisticated in their, you know, discrimination against the Gentiles. And the reality is, if you have ever thought somebody's a less than than you, that's what you're doing. That's the Gentiles. And so Peter has this thing. I mean, his excuses had to do with ethnicity and, and, uh, and culture and things like that. But we can, we can be biased against people for any reason we choose. And we do it all the time. Uh, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal to God. So Peter says uh, to the Gentiles, he's there talking before him, and the Holy Spirit falls on them, and he's like, okay, I get it. Now I understand how true it is that God has no favorites, but that in every nation, not just the Jewish nation, in every nation around the world, all who fear God and do what is right are acceptable to him. It's a big moment for Peter. Oh, I get it now. 
God doesn't have any favorites. He's reaching out to these people who I previously thought were apart from what God was doing. We're outside of what God was doing. And he's calling them to. Another one was uh, from Ezekiel 18. Uh, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. So repent and live. This one haunts my mind when I watch like a really good movie and the villain gets it at the end. And I'm gratified by that. I'm so glad he got it. And I'm like, oh, that's right. The one to whom a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. That's not to say no one ever dies. That's not to say that God doesn't judge. But if we in any way are finding gratification or security or something good, some kind of pleasure in the fact that we have just you know, given someone what they deserve because of what they've done. We are, we are not like Christ. We are the opposite of like Christ. This is a big deal to God. Everyone needs Jesus. Jesus is for everyone. So we really felt like this means that we need to be reaching out across cultural and, and generational and, and relational boundaries. We, we serve a God who's declared those dividing walls of hostility have been torn down we are reaching out, and we are wanting to be people who look like Jesus, talk about Jesus, are in love with Jesus, and pointing people to Jesus. Uh, this is what we want to be all about. Because that's what we want to be all about, we acknowledged from the get-go, this means we must abandon our comfort zone. I was shocked to find that because I'd forgotten about it. I forgot that when we started this, we were abandoning our comfort zone. It's so easy after you've done church for a while together and you've gotten comfortable. It's so easy to want to preserve the comfort zone. And then I was like, ah, dang it. It's right here. We're supposed to be abandoning our comfort zones. What a terrible idea. No wonder more people don't come to this church. (laughs) What were we thinking? We want to be in fostering an environment where we're encouraging people to reach out to reach out to their neighbors, to take relational risks, to invite people in. We want to be a church that was active in service and outreach in our community. A church that's networking and collaborating with other churches. And we, and we, and we from the get-go, had a strong financial commitment to cross-cultural missions. And the last thing we said this meant was that we needed to offer a seat at the table to people who were not like us. That's probably the one that's really hard. We would offer that seat from the get-go, but it only became problematic when people actually came and started to sit in it. And then it was like, oh, darn, what's going on in here? My comfort zone's falling apart. What a privilege it is when God holds you to do the things that he called you and set you out to do together. Because this is what he's called us to do 
because we're, we went into this eyes wide open saying, this is what we're going to do. We believe that our presence should be a blessing to other people. That we would bless people by being who we are and who God's designed us to be. How many times, how many days do you go through? How many social interactions do you go through where you forget that God has blessed you so that you could be a blessing to other people? How many excuses do we make when we're faced with opportunities to be a blessing and we're like, ah, not today. I'm not doing it today. If you are not doing it today, you are not living to be who God has created you to be. And you're hoarding your blessings for yourself. And God never meant for it to be that way. I had written on this outline from years ago that, again, a more healthy relationship with Jesus is what people need. People need to be walking in step with God's spirit. They need to find time to be in God's presence. Their prayer life, their devotional life needs to be vibrant. Our relationships with each other suffer because of our busyness. I really think our relationship with the Lord suffers because of our busyness, because of the good things that are going on all around us, the opportunities we have all around us to be involved in this or that. When's the last time you sat in a quiet moment before the Lord and said, God, how's our relationship going? Am I living in the fullness of what you've called me to do? It says we, we are meaning to intentionally serve and bless the least of these. I'm not saying that we're not helpful or a blessing to the least of these. We have different things that we've been involved in over the years that do that. But I had this eye-opening moment. One of our missionaries visited, uh, and this happened a year or two after we got into the Roxy. And he'd been at Renewal before, and he'd been a part of things. But he, he does uh, leads, uh, serves in a, a pretty vibrant church planting uh, ministry in a closed country in the world and, and they, it oversees literally hundreds of house churches in a closed country where the gospel is not uh, able to be preached openly and he's kind of an incognito missionary um, but he comes to renewal and I'd known him we'd grown up in church together I've known him a long time and and we're talking after a Sunday and he says wow James uh, I would I I was really surprised that renewal is like an upper middle class church. <laughs> I was like, what? No, we're not. <laughs> we're seeking to serve the least of these. Oh, but we, we're, we're seeking to serve those who are on marginalized. We're seeking to try to reach people who are. And then, and then I, I'm like running through the roster in my head and I'm like, oh yeah, no, we, we probably are like, we would represent. Like, above middle income, we would represent, like, pretty well together people. And uh, and even if we're serving some of these other people, they, they don't seem to ever want to come to church with us. So I don't know what's going on. Heavily convicting for me. What a blessing it is when God moves us to do the things that he called us to do.
Instead, we offer worship services that are open to all who desire to find salvation in Jesus Christ. There is no check happening at the door. There is no, you need to be doing this and this and this to be here. If you are someone who is seeking Jesus Christ, open to seeking salvation in Jesus Christ, you're someone that we need here as a part of our congregation. Jesus doesn't just change how we see the lost. He changes how we see everyone. Paul didn't just say, I don't look at, at, I no longer look at Jews from this point of view or Gentiles from this point of view or the saved or the unsaved. He says, even Christ, how we look to Jesus has been transformed by God's spirit. Each strand of the net, each person in a church needs to look at the people around them and say, these are pearls of great price. These are people worth dying for. The strength of our community is fully reliant on how how much am I reaching out and making those connections with other people. Oh my goodness, it's 11.26. Let's... There's this term in public speaking. It's called landing the plane. And uh, just put your parachutes on. We're not landing today. (laughs) Lord, we just come before you. We ask that your spirit would help us to quiet our hearts. One, our ears need to be tuned to your voice. What are you saying to us? I know that that because you spoke some of these different things to a group of us years ago, that's why we're here doing this today. Um, And I know, too, that if we cannot be people who will hear the word that you're saying today, as well as remembering the words that you said yesterday, Uh, we're just going to be floundering around helplessly in the dark. And so we just acknowledge our need for you. We ask for your guidance in our lives. Holy Spirit, as we uh, come before the Lord's table today, we just acknowledge that uh, it's a table that has been set with the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, the one who is everything, Literally everything that matters. And so as we take time to uh, just to close our time together today at, at your table that you have set, we just ask that you would feed us the good spiritual food that gives us eternal life. We ask that you would open our eyes to see those around us as you see them. And you would open our hearts to um, to pursue them like you pursue us. To forgive like you forgive. To be patient like you are patient.
We want to be people whose identity is shaped by you. We want to be a congregation whose identity is shaped by you. And so uh, we just surrender ourselves to you um, and ask that you would continue to do this work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.